Listen to the Vibes. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Listen to the Vibes. And I'm very happy to welcome Rich LaMonica here. Uh, he is a veteran. Uh, he is also a motivational speaker, an author, and a podcaster himself. We're going to get to know him today. So, Rich, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Awesome, Kyle. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for being, uh, I guess, understanding last week when we were originally supposed to do this when I had to you know, take care of some stuff at the ER. But uh, it's great, great to be on here. Like I said, I am a 22-year veteran of the Army. I retired in 2015. Prior to that, my life had me in New Jersey. I grew up born and raised in New Jersey for 22 and a half years of my life, basically. Uh, we grew up in a railroad apartment, which if you don't know what that is, it's all rooms are connected. There's no hallway. So you go, we went from the living room to my sister's room, parents' room, and then the dungeon where the three boys were was at the end there. And I was the youngest of three boys. So you learn to fight real quick. <clears throat> you learn to be tough or you learn to lose teeth. I did lose teeth because I was the youngest and we played basketball pretty rough. But mom and dad taught us a lot of valuable lessons like all moms and dads do. And some of it, some of it you listen to when it happens and some of it you learn that it was good stuff way down the line, like uh, we all kind of do after we have kids, that, oh, those lessons were actually good things they were telling us. But one of those lessons were uh, when I was a junior in high school, I had not taken any classes to go to college, not one. And I was taking all the classes just to check the blocks to get out of high school. And I said, all right, Dad, I'm ready to go to the Army. But since I was only 17, he would have to sign me into it. He said, no, you're not going. Enough of us have served. I said, well, that's a, not a good plan because I have nothing else planned. I have no plan B whatsoever. He said, well, you're going to have to go study and you're going to go to college. You'll be the first son to go to college. Okay, so my senior year, instead of just messing around, taking shop and taking off at noon every day, I was taking multiple maths, multiple sciences, and extra English in order to get all the prerequisites to go to college. I took the SAT, passed that somehow, and uh I got into college. I, I played two years of college football, but still, I was not happy. I didn't I didn't want to be a student. So finally, I just said, Dad, you can't stop me now. Join the Army. So in 1993, I finally joined the Army. I started off in Georgia. From there to Korea, to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, two stops, two and a half stops to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, uh, three times, the, four times the combat, and then retired in 2015. Took a complete year off, uh, not by choice, just that no one would hire me. Uh, they thought I wanted more than I really did. All I really wanted was to get out of the house and have a job. <clears throat> I had enough for my retirement and my disability to get me through. I just needed a job. And they didn't hear that. They didn't like that. And it took me 365 days exactly to get a job. And when I did, I started working for a veteran nonprofit. The mission continues out of St. Louis. I moved out there. I stayed there for a year living out there. Then I geo, I geolocated back to my house with my family in, a, in Clarksville, Tennessee. So I stayed with my wife and daughter there and I worked remote from there. I covered the central region, which was basically Texas straight up the swath of the United States to mentor veterans as they went through basically a six month fellowship at home, getting back in basically transitioning back into civilian life. And learning the new leadership styles and new things, new tricks and traits. And then finally, my former first sergeant from the Army called me and said, hey, you want to work at Fort Campbell? I said, yes. And he gave me a job here. And I've been doing this now for five years, uh, training soldiers on Fort Campbell. In that time, I've, I've also gone to Georgetown University, got my master's degree in Homeland Security uh, and Disaster Emergency Management. And now proceeding, uh, I'm going to Liberty now for my doctorate for Homeland Security as well. 
I've written two books, uh, 13 Step Guides to Success and Out of the Darkness. And if, like you mentioned earlier, I started my own podcast, The Misfit Nation. So tell me about your podcast. Well, the podcast, uh, I think like most people during the pandemic, they were looking for stuff to do. I had just finished Georgetown, and I, I knew I had a lot of time during the week where I wasn't doing anything. About eight hours a week that weren't allotted to anything. So I said, I'd probably do a podcast. Joe Rogan does it. I can do it. And that dude does all this UFC stuff, all this comedy stuff. And he fits time to do it. I can do it. So I just, I called my former soldiers said, look, is it all right if I use the misfit name? Because that was the name for our platoon in Afghanistan. They said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And I made it the Misfit Nation. Uh, I started recording just in my Jeep. I'd go park across the road here at the casino they were building. I'd record my interviews in my Jeep. You know, Jeeps are pretty loud. And I learned some less valuable lessons there. I had veterans coming on at first to, to share their story, to get the pressure off their chest. So maybe we wouldn't, lo- wouldn't lose so many. So as you share your story, you kind of breathe a little easier. And then they say, Hey, look, man, we need more help. We need, we need to learn how to start businesses, how to be a good entrepreneur, how to write books, how to get into music, how to get into Hollywood. I said, okay, challenge accepted. So I just reached out and I started getting guests. And now we're 300 and I think 24 episodes in and just. I get different guests all the time. It's uh, like something new every time I get on my show. Tonight, I have an author again. It'll be a great show with her as well. Wow. I'm really impressed with that because a lot of the soldiers come home and they're, they don't have a purpose, it seems. Right. They're just, you know, I've mentioned this on other shows before. Y'all are trained like attack dogs and then expected to be a, a home pet when you get back. And that's that's yeah, not fair. Exactly. Expect to be a poodle when you come home. And uh, it's hard, like like for me, uh, So after 22 years, taking off the boots and the next day, nothing. What do I do with my hands at that point? And you mentioned purpose. And purpose is one of the big reasons a lot of guys and girls uh, end it. They go to the darkness and they don't come back. They can't, they can't fight those demons anymore. There's no more purpose in their life. There's no more camaraderie. There's nothing there. In the civilian world, there's you can get a job. It's great, but it's not the same. It's not You don't have that brotherhood or sisterhood there to, where you always feel like you're part of a team. It's usually most uh, corporate worlds is you're about the me and moving up or down or wherever you're trying to go in the corporate world. Well, one of the last guests I had talked about how, you know, you're kind of – you know, up in rank or something when you're in the military and then expected to start at the bottom when you're in civilian life and it's not as easy to do. And plus the camaraderie, I mean, you, you have a brotherhood and sisterhood over there that is really hard to get when you're in civilian life. Oh, definitely. And and like you said, the rank and starting at the bottom, a lot of people can't adjust to that. They cannot physically, mentally, and morally go from leading X amount of people to getting led by someone that's half their age, <laughs> if half their age, maybe they're 27 years old or something like that. And they're telling them what to do because they have so much life experiences, how it should be done. And a lot of, a lot of soldiers, a lot of veterans cannot handle that at all. Some, some can, cause they just know that it's a paycheck. They got to get by, but a lot can't. And there's a statistic out there that I think it's 87 to 90% of most veterans quit their first job within a year because of that. Oh, I can only imagine. What about these folks that come over here and just can't adjust? And like here in Austin, where they're living on the street. Right. 
and, and that happens to a lot. And uh, some people say it's their choice. Some people say it's because of PTSD. I'm not the doctor. I can't uh, go into that. But a lot of it comes from losing that purpose and losing that that ability to just be able to put them boots on in the morning, go to work, do your job, and love you, do what you do, and love what you do, and love the people around you. And then you, when you turn it off, it's off. And it could be someone that was in the National Guard that went to war and got activated for a year. And then, well, it's actually usually for them, it's about 16 months because they do before and after time. But they do all that time, then they come home and it just shuts off. It's hard to shut that off. It's very hard to turn that switch off. Like you said earlier about the attack dog to being basically a lap dog. It's hard to turn that switch off. And if you're not getting some kind of help along the way or have someone that you can talk to, it's very hard to come out of it. And unfortunately, there are a lot of our brothers and sisters that wind up living under bridges, or I'm not sure how they live in Austin, but I went to San Diego and there was a whole street dedicated to homeless and they had tents mm-hmm. at night and stuff. It was, it was horrible. Wow. Do you know the statistics of those that come back and get into substance abuse? It's a high number. It's, it's over 50% that uh, have reported that they've done it. Uh, I'm not the short exact number, but it is over 50% that have either alcohol, drugs, or combination thereof. And then there's the ones that have the criminal record because, I mean, they don't know what to do. And when you get hooked on either one of those, especially the hardcore drugs, you have to find a way to pay for them or get them. So you're doing illegal things in order to get them or illegal things just to live. And it's a hard cycle. And it's if you don't get help soon or quickly, you don't make it out of that cycle. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. Well, tell me about your motivational speaking, because I noticed that was on your list. Yeah, I'd like to go out and uh, talk about my story about uh, growing up in the city. It's, I bring up my dad a lot in my stories because he's uh, he's probably my biggest mentor in the things he did for us. And he he worked three or four jobs at a time. He had a main job with the electric company by us. And then he worked for the city more. He drove a truck. He uh, owned his own bar for a little while, about two years. But he kept doing that so that we would never need anything. And there was, I mean, we, of course, we want stuff. All kids want more than they have, but you didn't need anything. We had clothes, we had food, and we had shelter. That's all you need, really. And you had guidance from mom and dad. They never said no to anything. And then as I grew up in life, I learned different types of leadership. And early in my career, I was, I, I'd say in my book, 13 Step Guides to Success, I was a straight up ass in my first uh, early part of my career because I only led the way I was taught to lead in the military. And then it took an evolution for me to learn that not every person is the same. Not every person reacts to everything the same. You have to evolve as a human to understand what humans do. And leadership had to take that turn as well. It took me getting knocked down a couple of times to learn that you can get back up. You have to get back up in order to succeed. Uh, losing a soldier was big for me. Uh, I was able to help all my other soldiers get through, but I never looked to help myself. 
uh, until we came home, I, I tried to get help and I was told you're in a position where you don't need to get help. You just go back to work. So, okay. So I went back to work. So that happened in 2011. I didn't get help until after 2015. And it, those are part of the stories I will tell people that you got to just keep trying to pursue pursue success, pursue greatness. Don't fall. If you get knocked down, get right back up because you're not judged by how many times you fall. You judge how many times you get back up. How do you get into motivational speaking? I just uh, I got asked to speak to the Red Cross one time, and I uh, I was volunteering for him, and I got asked to volunteer. Oh, I was volunteered really to to speak. Hey, help us set this up. Oh, by the way, you're giving a, a 30 minute speech. Oh, I am. And okay, so I went in there and did this. I gave a speech about my career, about the times I used the Red Cross during my career and the times the Red Cross helped other soldiers that I knew during my career. And it just felt good. And other people asked me to come speak to their, their audience at their job or to mentor youth. And that's one of the best things I like to do is go mentor. Uh, middle school, high school youth to try to make sure we turn them the right direction before it's too late. Wow. Well, it's pretty nerve wracking the first time you get up there. <laughs> Especially when I wasn't prepared at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever done public speaking, but there's usually like that one person that you'll look around the room and all of a sudden you get locked on one person. And the first time I did, I felt like this one was like staring through my soul. I was like, Oh my God, am I saying something wrong? Something's going on. And then my the person that had me up there, she like hit my leg, and I, I started speaking against. Thank you, because <laughs> I I was like almost froze up there. <laughs> I bet that feeling really never goes away, does it? No, you just learn to manage it manage it a lot more. Uh, I sat with a uh, Dave Sanderson. He was the the last uh, person, last pastor to get off the flight on the Hud the miracle on the Hudson, the crash in the Hudson River. He was the last pastor to get off there, and he was giving a speech, and I was flipping the slides for him. I asked him how he does, and he said. It's part rehearsal and part you just like to find a thing to keep your mind off of it. So some people hold a pen, some people hold a paper clip. You just got to do something like that to get you through it. And I've been doing that ever since. And speaking of holding a pen, um, <clears throat> how did you get into writing a book? Well, the first one, uh, the first one I published was also during a pandemic, of course. Uh, Every month at the end of the month, I would on Facebook, I'd write this stupid little thing like, you made it to this level of Jumanji. You made it through this level of Jumanji. Now this is what you have to face next month. And at the end of the year, I made the 13 steps guide to your success. I just broke, put those 13 steps and I pressed send. My daughter immediately said, you need to put that in a book, Dad. So I wrote that book <clears throat> and she was my editor because she published right out of high school. So she became my editor and went back and forth with her and we published that. And that was this one here. 13 step guide success available on Amazon. And it basically is how to be a better human. It's not how to make money, how to get into business. It's just how to be a better person and build your, clean your house, clean your community and clean your, uh, clean your block, clean your community and get things better. And don't worry about things that you can't control. They're way outside your focus, clean up what you can do what you can to make things better where you are and everything else will follow. Um, and then the second book, the second book I actually started writing a long time ago. I just kept writing, stop writing, stop, delete. Then this year I put it on my board in front of my, in my studio that it would be one of the things I completed. And September 11th, I, I finally finished the book Out of the Darkness, which is available pretty much anywhere books are sold. It's a fictional novel, but it's based on multiple people I served with. Each character is based on multiple people I served with. And it goes through the journey of a soldier going through multiple combat deployments. In the, in the beginning of the book, they're basically at the end of the last director wits end on top of a mountain, looking down, smelling the blood, the smoke, 
and wondering how they got there. Then it flashes back and forward throughout the book until the end where they understand that they need that mental health services and get the help they need. Yeah, it's really important that we <clears throat> focus on the mental health. I mean, you you have a, a I don't want to say it's a fad, but people are talking about it. But I don't think they're really doing anything about our veterans, you know? It, there's people that are trying to do something for veterans. Uh, the VA has systems in place just that, like, uh, if I always talk to people, if you go to a barber or a hairdresser, you want that person that's going to be good for you. Mm-hmm. You got to need that person that you can sit down and talk with while they're cutting your hair and they don't mess up your hair. You don't want to go to a doctor that isn't someone you want to talk to. If you walk into an office, you want someone that understands where you came from, knows the things you've been through. And it's not just looking at a computer saying, oh, yeah, you said this word, so that's that's something. And this. you don't want that. You want someone that's almost like family, feels like you're in a family setting, mm-hmm. and they're going to help you. And if you go to one and it doesn't click, I tell people, keep trying till you find one. But some people just don't go back. And that's the problem. They don't go back to get the help or seek out help. I went to the VA and it did not click at first. Uh, I actually got escorted out of the VA's, the, the counseling center, because I just didn't didn't work well there. And then they sent me to outside care and I met a Dr. King Counts and Dr. King Counts, me sat down. We shared each other, we shared each other's stories. And then he talked me through all my issues and I have been great ever since. That was 2016. I know there's, some good stories from the VA, but most of what I hear is pretty bad. Uh, uh, I believe the last gentleman that I talked to about it said the smaller VAs seem to be better than the larger ones. Is that your, what you find? I think it, uh, what I would call satellite, uh, uh, satellite clinics or smaller clinics. It's more personal mm-hmm. and more than people are, they're from the community where you're in. And if you go to a big one, it's usually they're traveling to that big one to be in that hospital or they don't understand the veteran's uh, plight or what their story is. And they're kind of going off the what they I mean, they're taught what they're taught in school. I don't know what they're how they're taught. And if if we're taught to fix a tire this way, we always fix the tire this way. It's the same way they feel they should treat each patient. And some can't get over the fact that there's multiple different people and you can't fix each tire the same way. You got to fix each veteran a different way. And sometimes that takes work and sometimes it's different things. Uh, at first, when I got out, they wanted to just give me nothing but medication. Then they sent me a box of medication without even touching me, talking to me. I mean, looking at me, he was looking at his computer at all my symptoms. He sent me all these medications. I never took them because I didn't know what they were. And there was way too many of them. There's no way I would take them. And then when I talked to Dr. Counts and we just talked through stuff, we did an EMDR, eye movement, uh, dissociative or something. I feel what the DNR stands for, but it's EMDR. We did, and that worked perfect for me. And that may not work for the next person. They may need something else, a different version of that. But I don't think drugs is the answer. I think that just covers up, let's puts a Band-Aid on some stuff or hide something for a little while. And then if you forget to take it, then that you're tearing off that Band-Aid, the scab comes off and whack your, your nuts again. It's almost like an assembly line, you know? They bring you in and, uh, well, here's the next one. And next one, same, trying to do the same thing over and over again, just not going to work. Right. And, or they, or they try to do group counseling and not a lot of guys or girls want to go sit in a group and tell their story. 
you got to get to that point. You can't start there right away. You got to do one-on-one stuff. And I know group works for people like AA works for people and uh, uh, narcotics anonymous that works for some people, but you got to start at the basic first, start treating the human. And then once they get past, they're taking care of themselves, then they can go in there and share everything so that they see they're not alone and then bam, move forward. Well, a lot of guys are not going to want to open up in front of the other people. Right. Whereas being on that one-on-one with the doctor, you're going to say things you're not going to say in a group setting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you look at the movie, the other guys are Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. Mark Wahlberg has to go, go to a group thing because uh, for officers who shot their weapon in the line of duty. And he was going there for months and months without sharing. And that's what, how, the show, how that scene starts. You've been going for this many uh, officer. You've been going for that. You've been coming here so many months. You haven't shared. Why not? You need to share. Then he finally shares. And they all go, they all attack him for what he did. So that's why you don't want to do it sometimes. Well, notice that you want to get into Homeland Security. What what brought that on? Uh, kind of uh, my last, uh, <clears throat> my last appointment, uh, I was studying business at the time and I met an officer and he said, you should probably do Homeland Security based on your knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I started studying that for my bachelor's degree. I did Homeland Security Emergency Management and uh, master's basically the same thing, you uh, know, doctorate staying in that path. But Homeland Security kind of aligns directly with what I did in the military, uh, uh, protect, serve, security, and stuff like that. So this now that I've been able to help our whole country instead of just a small sector of it, I can, my my decisions or my planning can my, might be able to help others in the future, whereas we didn't have a Homeland Security when I was growing up and it didn't get uh, established till after 9-11, really. So it was a second thought or, I guess, a knee-jerk reaction to start that program or start the department. And now here we are. It's still basically in its infancy. It's only 21 years later, 22 years later. So it's good to be getting into something that's still new and still accepting new ideas. You think it's going to affect what you're trying to do here? No. No, no. You're going to keep keep going and keep doing it, huh? Yeah, I'll keep doing both. Yeah. <laughs> I try to keep them as separate as possible. <laughs> hey, man, well, you know what you're doing is important because a lot of guys just need a voice. I, I think if we had had stuff like this back during Vietnam days, that yeah. maybe we wouldn't have had as many tragedies as we have. Oh, definitely, definitely. And uh, I don't know if you remember when uh, 22 a day started getting broadcasted, 22 veterans a day getting lost. Mm-hmm. It's about 2015, 16-ish time period. Those numbers were based off of Vietnam veterans. That's who we were losing at that rate, 22. Most of those numbers were Vietnam veterans. It wasn't until later on, uh, you know, as more and more of this, this generation was coming home and staying home for more, that they were getting more involved with that number. But a lot of those numbers were Vietnam veterans because – they came home, you've seen the videos getting spit on, baby killer, all that stuff. And then they'd go to try to get help and told, no, nothing's wrong. You're good. Go home. This isn't service connected. You're just missing an arm from an explosion. That's not service connected. Go get something else. And that was the the playbook back then. They always deny, deny, deny until they finally give you service. So many of that generation, if they were told, no, this isn't the reason, in their head it was, okay, if that's what they said, that's real. I have to go on with my life and I'm going to do it without help. I'm just going to do it my way. And for some, of course, they became raging alcoholics. 
PTSD took over them and it, it leaked onto their families, their kids, and their, the whole family really suffered. And in the end, the, most of them died miserable. So, and it's sad to say that they paved the way for the care we have now, but that's basically what happened. What would you say is the biggest hurdle you've ever had to face in your life? Uh, biggest hurdle I ever had to face is probably when I lost my soldier on December 31st, 2010. Uh, he was the first one of my soldiers still under my charge that I lost. And him, it was a shock in having 32 other soldiers to take care of and make sure they were okay and not going out the wire and going nuts and uh, winding up on CNN the next day. That was the biggest hurdle I had. And it took a lot for me to keep restrained and to write his eulogy and to keep all of them taken care of until we got home in April. So it was a four-month window. I had to maintain uh, order with them guys and girls to get us through the rest of that deployment and and through the rest of our lives because it that day doesn't go away. It's always going to be there. And Sergeant Beckerman, we lost him that day. And and it's something that I, I learned a lot about myself and how actual resilient I am based on the things my parents taught me growing up and having faith in doing that, faith in everything they taught me, faith in the – the, the big man upstairs helped me get through all that stuff. And and that was probably the biggest, that's definitely the biggest hurdle I got through. What would you say is your philosophy on life now? Uh, live life forward. Don't look back. If you make mistakes, they have mistakes. Every day you're going to wake up and make a mistake. Uh, you can't be perfect all day. Don't dwell on that stuff. Always look forward. Look at the things you do good every day and stack them up each day. We call it stacking victories on the Misfit Nation. So stack your victories and each day try to beat those victories moving forward. Just keep a positive mindset going forward. Of all the podcasts that you've done, has there ever been anything that you've wanted to talk about that you never got to? Uh, not really, no. I've usually got to share everything I wanted to share. <laughs> you know, this is your time i wanted to make sure that you got to say yeah. everything you got to say <laughs> yeah. definitely uh, the only thing here uh, if you guys want to come join us on the misfit nation we're live sundays tuesdays and thursdays at 7 p.m central standard time on our youtube channel all our social medias you can find it on themisfitnation.com and on youtube it's at the underscore misfit nation I am going to put all the links to those in the description to make it easier for folks to find you. Good. Thank you. Oh man, of course. You know, I've, I've not served myself, but I have a soft spot because my grandfather, my dad, my, my cousins, they all served and I've had friends that served as well. And I, I just, I hear the horror stories. And I feel like you guys deserve a platform. You deserve to be understood. Not just helped, but understood. I think that's the major problem is, is if you've seen that movie, and I want to say it was uh, Tobey Maguire and Jake Gyllenhaal, where Tobey Maguire has come back from the war, and I think Jake is his brother, and his brother's kind of the... Uh, the black sheep of the family, but uh, Toby McGuire, his, his attitude and his, his behavior has gotten really out of hand because of the stuff he saw when he was in, in battle. 
and he's made out at the the end to be the bad guy in the story now granted what he did to his his wife or tried to do to his wife and his brother um it wasn't great but if you ask me they're the bad guys because he didn't get the help he needed and he was just misunderstood have you yeah, seen man, that? that happens in I did see that movie. I can't remember the name of it, though, but I know the movie you're talking about. And that, uh, unfortunately, that does happen a lot. Uh, guys and girls come home, and the mix at home doesn't work well anymore. And there's no outlet for them, so it's either go to the local pub or local bar and, and let off some steam, come home and let off more steam, or just... And go to the darkness right away and a lot of them drag it on kind of like i think that's what the the plot of the thing was he had that roller coaster that spiral he went on to go all the way out until the end there so and that's kind of almost uh, unfortunately that's what a lot of girls and guys go through rich thank you so much for coming on my show i can't tell you how much i appreciate it oh it's an honor to be here thanks for having me Pleasure is all mine, believe me. And I want to thank all you folks out there as well. Um, if you are new to the channel, well, I hope you'll come back. Hit that subscribe button for my regulars. You guys are awesome because, well, you make it possible for me to do this. Until the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network.